Listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. The image of Golda Meir that first comes to mind is one of a tough political leader who was instrumental in the establishment of Israel with a cigarette always at hand, unfiltered. Joining me is Francine Klagsbrunn, the author of Linus, Golda Meir and the Nation of Israel. After reading this comprehensive, well-documented biography, which draws on recently declassified correspondence, I discovered that Golda, as she preferred to be called, had remarkable gifts that she used astutely to reach her goals. Despite lacking an extensive formal education, she was a gifted orator and strategist. She was also a superb negotiator and very organized, who was tireless in advancing Zionism, later the State of Israel, and as Foreign Minister and as Prime Minister, the country's security. Yet, as you will hear during this podcast, she had a sensitive and even flirtatious side that disarmed both her friends and adversaries. Francine, I have so been looking forward to our chat. It's my great pleasure to be here. There's so much to talk about, but let's give our listeners just a few highlights of the central themes of your book. Golda's early childhood was spent in Milwaukee. How did that environment shape her political views, particularly vis-a-vis -vis socialism, which was so much a part of her life, and really the kibbutz is what brought her to Palestine? Palestine, that's right. She actually joined a Zionist socialist organization in Milwaukee where she lived. It was called Polizion. But it was reinforced because the mayor of Milwaukee was a socialist and many of the ministers in his cabinet were socialists. So it was a very socialist atmosphere uh, and that influenced her. It was also the openness of the prairie, of the frontier. Uh, there was this kind of can-do atmosphere there. You have to work hard. If you work hard, you get what you achieve. And Golda really believed that and continued that in the kibbutzim as well. She had a sort of on-again and off-again relations with so many people throughout her whole life, including her family, her parents. But her relationship with her elder sister, Shayna, was, would you not agree, probably the most influential? Yes, indeed it was. Shana was nine years older than Golda. And she herself, as a young woman, was a revolutionary in Russia and then continued those revolutionary feelings in the United States. And Golda, little girl, watched her sister and, and saw these secret meetings in Tsarist Russia where everybody was planning to overthrow the Tsar and picked up, you know, she didn't understand everything, but she picked up the atmosphere, she picked up those feelings, and she adored that older sister. What I found interesting is that their roles reversed. And when they came to America, the older sister, Shana, became more like a, I don't know if I could say a housewife, but somebody who disagreed and got angry at Golda when she left her children to go to work, things that Shana herself had advocated earlier. And Golda became, in a sense, the revolutionary, the one who broke new ground. Nevertheless, they remained very close all their lives. But Shana was really the one who encouraged her to leave her family and sort of spread her well, wings. Well, she encouraged her to leave her family because her family, living in Milwaukee, did not want Golda to go to high school. They wanted her to learn a trade. You know, what, is, what does a girl have to be educated for was the attitude. And Shana had broken away from the family in that attitude, had really been strong enough herself to, to be educated. And she wanted Golda to do that. And Golda ran away from home. 
joined Shana in Denver, where Shana lived and went to school there. You know, I mentioned that you've been able to look at a lot of recently declassified material, particularly in Israel. I don't know if this was one of them, but I was just so fascinated and amazed that the son-in-law of President Abdel Nasser of Egypt, and also a close associate of President Sadat, had the code name Angel and In-Law, and indeed he was a spy on behalf of Israel. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing <laughs> story. Because for a while people thought he was really a double agent, and there are still people who say he was a double agent, really uh, pretending to spy for Israel, but really spying for Egypt. But that is not so. The people in charge, the people at the head of the Mossad, who was Israel's intelligence agency, and Golda, after obviously a great deal of investigation, realized that he was on the level. We don't, nobody knows why, probably for financial reasons, but he came to Israel, came to the, the heads there and said he wanted to spy for Israel, and he did. And he was a very good spy. For how long? Oh, it was many years. It was maybe 10 years. He suffered a very bad demise because what happened at the end, which is why I'm convinced he was not a double agent, he was found in 2007, I think it was. He was found at the bottom of a staircase outside the house that he lived in in London. Obviously, he had either been pushed or he fell down. Mm. Uh, and the feeling is that Egypt, somebody in Egypt wanted to get rid of this guy, and then they gave him a very loving, wonderful funeral to sort of let Israel know, no, no, he really wasn't a spy. But clearly, that's what happened. What a, what a story. You know, one of the things that you show so much in the book was that Golda was really, I think it's safe to say, tormented by what happened with Yom Kippur. Did she make the right decision not to take a preemptive strike? And the spy played a role in the decision-making. That's right. We don't have a lot of time, but give us a sense about her second-guessing. Yeah. yeah, well, first of all, what happened is she had this terrible gut feeling that something was going to happen. And her generals, her generals, the great general Diana and so on, reassured her, no, 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 there's a low prob probability of war. It's not going to happen. Uh, they're not up to it and so on. And so she didn't act on that. And she didn't act on calling up the troops. You know, in Israel, there's a, a very small standing army. And most of the army are really in the reserves. Reserves, yeah. And she did not. And everyone must serve. And everybody must serve. And so she did not call up the reserves earlier because they kept reassuring her. And she never forgave herself for not following her own gut instinct and doing, you know, what would have been the right thing to do. But as far as a preemptive strike, that was a little bit different. Henry Kissinger, over the years, since the 1967 war, when Israel did strike preemptively, Henry Kissinger warned her several times that if Israel ever does another preemptive strike, they will get no aid from the United States. And she knew that if there was any war, they would need help from the United States. And so she held back from a preemptive strike. I think she made the right decision. First of all, Egypt and Syria at that point were not stupid. They had been through the 67 war. They were prepared. They knew Israel might do that. They had a big missile shield that could knock down Israel's planes very easily. They would not have succeeded that well in a preemptive strike. And it was such a complex situation because of the Cold War as well. Let me ask you this. She also wrestled with her identification about whether or not she was a feminist or not. And, and I love this quote where David Ben-Gurion <laughs> called her the best man in the government. Well, she hated that quote. I she, have to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. <laughs> but it shows how she was viewed. Yes, because she was tough. She was one strong, tough woman. But she hated that quote because she said, what does that mean, that men are better than women? I'm, you know, she's a woman. She doesn't have to be the best man in the cabinet. But she was very dedicated to what she believed. And she believed in the state of Israel, and she believed totally in its security, and she would do anything for that. So she really put aside any 
personal gain and really stayed with what she needed to be done. And she never minced words with anybody either, you know. People who worked for her, some of them had negative things to say about Golda. Because she had quite she, a temper at times. Well, it wasn't so much a temper. She could be sarcastic. She could be cutting and sarcastic, and that was really tough. That was hard for men to take, you know, from this powerful woman. She could also, however, be loving. And people she liked, she could be very generous to Well, them. I want to ask you about that. I mean, here on the cover of your book, this is the, the image that you expect, this older woman looking very tough and with the cigarette in her mouth. But she had lots of lovers. She had lots of lovers. And, and, and men really were attracted to yes. her. Well, you know, she was, first of all, as a young woman, I have to tell you, she was very good looking. And I she, looked that up because I, the image I had of her, of course, is the oh, one on the cover one. of your yeah. book. And so yeah. you can find on the web pictures of her in as her youth. Woman, and she was she very was, attractive. Yeah, she yeah. was very attractive. And Shows you shouldn't smoke. Shouldn't be a chain smoker. Well, you know, you know, that's right. She she became looked the way she did because she lived on cigarettes and black coffee. You know, that really changed her figure and her looks. But you know what? I want to say this: that even as an older woman, there was something handsome about her. There was something attractive about her. Something almost sexy about this woman who was so powerful and smart and funny. And I think that attracted men also. Israel's approaching the 70th anniversary, and there's an ongoing debate still about what a comprehensive peace settlement might look like. In your view, what would Golda Meir's position be? Today. Mm -hmm. I want to clear something up. People think she would support Mr. Netanyahu and think the way he does. She would not. He is the Likud party. She was the Labor Party, which was a left-wing party. Her attitude toward Israel was never, we want a greater Israel, we need all that territory. Her attitude was she wanted secure borders. That's what she wanted. She wanted security for Israel. She would be horrified at the extent of the settlements today, I believe. I mean, I'm quite sure because her son, who was probably even more right-wing than she, was horrified at the extent of the settlements mm -hmm. today. And she would be very upset at the idea of taking that much land. She wanted to trade land for peace. For security, too. For security reasons, nothing more. The majority of our listeners are from Dallas. November 12th, 1977, yes. the former prime minister made her last appearance at the Sheraton here in Dallas. How did that happen? I don't know how it happened that way, but she was devastated by what happened in Dallas to President Kennedy. And she, however, I have to say, it's almost amusing, she was sure there was a conspiracy. She really bought into conspiracy theories. And she was very concerned because Jack Ruby was Jewish. And, you know, the <laughs> Jews often have that. We, we look first, well, is that person Jewish? What are they going to say about us? So she had that attitude also. And she was crazy about Jack Kennedy. She but really when she came here, she had wonderful, wonderful support, a great welcome, standing room only. Why not? I mean, I think people really admired her, and Kennedy admired her, and, you know, why not? What about her relationship with Henry Kissinger? It was a very complicated relationship. In the end, I think they both really admired each other, but they were negotiating. They were negotiating for peace for separation of troops after the Yom Kippur War, both in Egypt, first in Egypt, and then in Syria. And they were tough negotiations. Did they trust each other? They trusted each other up to a point. Sometimes they did, but up to a point. You know, they were both politicians, and they were both playing their own games. And she wanted as much as she could get in terms of security. He wanted as much as he could get in terms of helping the other countries and not giving in to Israel on everything. 
One thing he didn't want, because Israel had won so easily and vastly during the 67 war, he did not want the Arabs to be humiliated again. And he had this attitude, which, you know, many of us are not so happy about, which was, well, let the Israelis get bloodied a little bit before we help them. Uh, and they did, and they were hurt by that. So Golda was very angry at him about that. On the other hand, he wrote that she treated him like an aunt treating a nephew. She, you know, he was like a little boy, a nice Jewish boy, and she treated him that way. So it was a combination of things, very complicated relationship. I interviewed Henry Kissinger. That was interesting in itself because he said, I don't have time. I will give you 15 minutes. I don't want to, I don't want to discuss this any further. But we got along so well that we spent more than an hour together. You know, we have time for just one other question, and I want you to comment on this. She was asked about leadership, and she said, I don't know anything about leadership. I can only tell you that I was going to the theater one evening and got on the elevator. Nobody in the elevator bothered to move, so I pressed the button. That's all I can say about leadership. Yes, I love that quote. <laughs> she told this to a psychiatrist who was writing a book about leadership. That would be typical Golden. She would always say, look, I'm an old lady, what do I know? And then, of course, she knew everything. This is, to me, the perfect example of what leadership is. You press the buttons and you make things happen, and that's what Golda Meir did. Well, Francine, I think our, li our listeners can tell I really enjoyed your book, you. Lioness, Golda Meir, and the Nation of Israel. I started reading it on Saturday and really haven't put it down for the last two and a half days. Thank so, you so thanks much. Thanks for writing. It's a great contribution. Thank you. I, I enjoyed writing it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.